welcome in to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and oh boy, like we said, it's just me today. John, John couldn't make it today, but like, uh, like me and him both said on uh, the Wednesday show, it was Wednesday this week, not not Tuesday, but like we said earlier this week, college basketball is going to be really freaking good this year. And I'm glad because we were robbed of March Madness. But it's very clear that there are two teams right now that everyone needs to keep their eye on. And that is Gonzaga and Baylor. Good Lord. And we are blessed because they are going to play each other this weekend. Normally, in normal college basketball seasons, it's very clear who the two best teams are. And you're like, well, we'll see them play each other in May. Unless you're lucky enough that the two best teams are in the same conference. It's like, well, we'll see them play each other at the end of January. Because there are some years where the two best teams in the country are like both in the Big Ten or they're both in the ACC. Very rarely they're both in the Pac-12. They're both in the Big East. That's been a thing here and there. Lately, the Big East has just kind of been all Villanova and a bunch of other good teams, but some years you get the chance for them to play each other. But when they are in different conferences, you're like, well, we got to wait till May to see these two teams play each other. That's, that's great. But now, first weekend of December, we get number one versus number two, Gonzaga versus Baylor. And these two teams... These guys are not screwing around in non-conference because both of them have already played ridiculously tough games this week. Gonzaga played West Virginia, and even though they're number one and West Virginia's number 11, like, that's a pretty big ranking disparity. West Virginia will press you like it like there's no tomorrow. They will make you work to beat them. They are... They are one of the hardest teams to play against in the country because under Huggins, they are just super aggressive. They, they, they full court press like the entire game. And that's not super common in college basketball. And because a lot of times like pressing or two, three zone, that, that kind of stuff, it's all very, it's a lot more common at the high school level. Like, once you hit college, you see very little full court press action. Action. You see a little bit of half court trapping, but that's very rare and super situational. And you very rarely see anything other than man to man defense, like two three zone, box and one, uh, triangle and two, which is even more rare. Doing that is uh, is not super common in. Uh, in anything beyond beyond high school. And West Virginia will just press you to death. And thankfully, there have been more teams in college basketball who are working on breaking presses. Because I've seen some bad full-court presses in college basketball that can get cut up very easily. West Virginia's is not one of them. And... They they took Gonzaga to the limit. Now, Gonzaga had the issue of their star freshman point guard, Jalen Suggs, getting injured 
early-ish in the game. It, it was relatively early in the game, and he went down, was grabbing, was grabbing like the back of his heel, which uh, and it was a non-contact injury. And whenever, whenever you see someone go down without contact and they grab their knee or their ankle or anything, really anything below the upper part of their leg, anything knee or down. They're not going to, uh, that's, that's not a good sign. Like if you see a guy go down and he didn't get like stepped on or pushed or anything, and he's grabbing something in the, anywhere like in his leg, that's bad news. And it was a little worrying for Gonzaga, but then he came back in the second half and played like the final 15 minutes of the game, which is nuts. He didn't contribute much in the way of scoring. I think he only... I think he only finished with, let's see, he finished, yeah, he finished with 26 minutes, but he only had four points. Oddly enough, he was, he was not one of the, uh, he was not the lowest scoring starter. Uh, One of the, uh, one of the forwards, Anton Watson, he scored one. He hit a free throw and that was it. But I'm guessing he's more than likely out there mostly for his defense. And he only played 23 minutes. So he he is a starter. But it's clear that he is the first guy out of the rotation. Because other than Suggs, everyone else played over 30 minutes. The other, the other three starters all played at least 30 minutes. And they all scored in double figures. Kispert, he's, I feel like, I feel like Corey Kispert's been there forever. Teammate got 17, Kispert got 19, uh, Ayayi, I'm probably butchering his name, got 21, and Nebhard came off the bench with 19 of his own. So, like, that's the other thing. Gonzaga has scoring depth. Because if Suggs was at full health, I'm guessing he probably would have scored more than four points. Just just a thought, because let's see, what did he do against, what did he do in some of their other games? Like, what did he do against Kansas? Against Kansas, yeah, against Kansas, he scored 24 points in 24 minutes. So I'm guessing if he was 100%, because he was clearly not 100% in that game against West Virginia, he would have scored more than four points. <laughs> yeah, and those are going to be the guys for for Gonzaga this year. Cause in that game, in that game against Kansas, Watson also only scored two points. The rest of the starters were all in double figures and Nebhard came off the bench with 11. So those are going to be your guys for Gonzaga this year. It's Suggs, Ayayi, Kisperton, and uh, Tim A. They're, they're going to be the guys for, uh, for Gonzaga this year. And, like I said, I feel like Corey Kispert's been there forever. <laughs> like, I feel like that dude has been at Gonzaga for years. Like, how is he? What what year is he? Kobe Brooks. Where the heck is he? Corey Kispert. Yeah, Corey Kispert's a senior. Okay. <laughs> it feels like he's been at Gonzaga for years. I was going to say, like, if that dude's not a senior, something's wrong. But they uh, they have another game. Later this week, they are taking on Baylor on Saturday at 1 p.m. And Baylor, on the other hand, their last game 
they didn't have all that much of a problem with a fellow top five team. The difference in rank was closer. Illinois is ranked fifth. Baylor is second. They're only three spots apart. In contrast to Gonzaga and West Virginia, who are 1-11. and 11. And Baylor had a Baylor had a rough start to the first half. It was super close in the first half. And then, boom, second half starts. They go on a tear and they just start locking it down. And that's what they're going to do to a lot of teams this year. Their defense is ridiculous. And the other big thing, they got Scott Drew back. Because Scott Drew missed the first two games of the season because he was stuck in quarantine. And now he's back. And good lord. They they literally did everything they needed to in this game. Like, Kofi, Co- Kofi Kerbo. Dude was a non-factor thanks to foul trouble. What was his... Uh, yeah. 18 minutes, 3 of 4 shooting, 1 of 3 at the line... Four total rebounds, no assists, a block, four fouls, seven points. They turned Coburn into a non-factor. And, man, only one starter scored in double figures. They shut these guys down. Like, they didn't even need to do that much offensively. And no one no one was really stuffing the stat sheet. They were, they were pretty balanced. Butler got 12, Mitchell 15, Teague 11, and uh, Flager off the bench with 18. How the heck? How the heck did this dude end up at at freaking Presbyterian? Like, how did he end up at Presbyterian? He's, he's a... How did he end up at Presby? Like, how did this man who... Led number two Baylor in scoring off the bench against a fellow top five team. How the heck did he end up at freaking Presbyterian College in middle of Nowheresville, South Carolina? Uh, like Liberty wasn't in the Big South at the time, but I'm guessing... I'm guessing he took a crap... Like, he single-handedly would have taken a crap on the Big South. There's no way he... 2018. Presbyterian basketball. Did they just, like... I'm guessing they kicked the... Kicked the crap out of everyone. No, they were only... They were only nine and seven. How? If they had this dude on the team, how are they only nine and seven in a god awful conference like the Big South? I mean, he was a six foot three freshman playing guard again in the Big South. How the heck? No wonder he transferred. This dude knew how good he was and just said, nah, man, I'm out. Like, I can't blame him. I really, I really can't blame him. 
Like, this dude is just going off at Baylor. How the heck did he end up at Presbyterian? I will... I do not understand that one at all. But... They're... They're going to be ridiculously good this year. And the the matchup predictor on ESPN, according to... And I know BPI is a total crapshoot. Like, BPI is a joke. BPI is a total crapshoot, I know. But BPI has given them about a 59% chance to win that game. Let's check the... Uh, let's check the Ken Palm predictor. Ken Palm, Gonzaga versus... God dang it. Gonzaga versus Baylor. Uh, let's see. They're both one and two in the, the Ken Palm rankings as well. Where's his, where's his prediction? Prediction. There we go. Uh, predictions. Where the heck is it? I can't, can't really uh, find anything because I'm not a member of uh, KenPom.com, so I can't find his predictor. But I'm guessing his is probably at least pretty similar. I still give the edge to Zaga in this one just because, like, they're really good and they can score in bunches. Like, this is... This is a, a clash of styles. Like, Baylor is a very defense-first team, and Gonzaga leans more on their offense. So that's going to be a really, really fun game. Like, there's there's so much good going in uh, college basketball right now. Like, there's there's just so much, and I I love it. Like... There's not too many amazing games in the top 25 uh, for Thursday night or Friday night, really, like, at all. Like, there's nothing, there's not like, Virginia Tech's going to kick the crap out of VMI. Kansas is going to win their game. Iowa's going to win their game. Uh, Arizona State against Cal could be fun. That, that always leads to some Pac-12 after dark uh, degenerate gambler chaos. So that that could be fun, but the big one, the big one's this weekend. Like, let's let's be honest with ourselves here. Like the the true the true juggernaut of this week is is Saturday. Just with Gonzaga Baylor alone. Like, congratulations, you have you have an insane you have an insane day. Like, good lord, this is, this is, like, Houston, South Carolina could actually be a fun one. Kansas, North Dakota State might be okay. Maryland, James Madison will be pretty interesting. North Florida and High Point, that, that's of interest to me as a guy who went to a school that was a member of both the Atlantic Sun and the Big South during my time there. Mount St. Mary's VCU could be fun. But the that's that's the gem. Gonzaga versus Baylor. Good God. That's gonna be that's gonna be just disgusting. But one of the other teams that's that's definitely worthy of discussion is Texas. Because for the longest time, under Shaka Smart, 
They have not been that great, despite the fact that I consider Shaka Smart a very good coach. Shaka Smart's a good coach. Do not get me wrong. But the problem is the administration of University of Texas does not give a crap about basketball. And they didn't give Shaka Smart the support he needed to make them a good basketball program. I still contend that he should have never left VCU. Because just just stretch this thought experiment without with out with me. When did he leave for Texas? I know it's been a few years at this point. It's been a reasonable amount of time. Oh, he's only 43. I, I thought he was much older. Uh, let's see. When did he... He left VCU in 2015. So 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. This is his sixth year at Texas. He was at VCU for seven years. And given how good they were in his time at VCU, like, given how ridiculously good they were in his time at VCU, uh, 2009, they were 27 and 9. His second year, they made it to the Final Four. His second year at VCU, they made a run to the Final Four. They never the the highest loss total he ever had was twelve, and I'm guessing they probably challenged themselves that year. Let's just see what their schedule looked like at the time. What was their what was their schedule like? If I can even find it. I can't find their schedule on here, which is annoying. But they were ridiculously good that year. They were one of the automatic qualifiers. And they had this was the year they they came out of they they came out of Dayton. They came out of the first four. And they made a run all the way to the final four. They were one of the only teams to ever do that. Now that was his best year at VCU. But if you, they made the tournament every year he was there, except for his first year where they won the CBI. And that was his first year. They still went 27 and nine, 11 and seven in the colonial. And the, the colonial athletic association is not a bad conference for basketball by any stretch of the imagination. In his time there, he never lost more than 12 games and he made the tournament every year except his first. At Texas, he has made the tournament twice. They probably would have made it last year, maybe, but you will never know. They made the tournament twice and they have bowed out in the first round. They won the NIT in 2018-2019. If you take this to its logical conclusion, at Shaka Smart at VCU, if he had stuck around and built that program up, because they're still pretty good. Like, VCU is still pretty darn good this year. Let's just uh let's just see what they did last season. They were 16 and 2 in the A10, 25 and 8 overall. So they're still pretty darn good. They're still pretty freaking good. 
One of their losses last year came against Virginia. So yeah. Or this was this was two years ago when the, the season played to its completion. So they lost by only eight to an eventual number one seed on the road. Yeah. They're pretty darn good. Let's see how they're doing. Let's just see how they're doing this year. Uh last year they were 18 and 13, 8 and 10, the A10. That's not amazing. And this year they're they're two and two. But they're still reasonably good, and Shaka Smart is a good coach. So if you take that to its logical conclusion, VCU would probably be close to Gonzaga's level right now if he had stuck around. Because VC the VCU administration is invested in basketball, and there's a lot of talent in Virginia. Like, there is a lot of underrated basketball talent in Virginia. Because everyone talks about everyone talks about the the 757. It's where it's the very eastern portion of the state. It's where like Chesapeake or not Chesapeake City, that's in Maryland. Uh Chesapeake, Virginia, uh Virginia Beach, Norfolk, like that that general area. Everyone talks about that as a hotbed of football talent. And that is correct. But there is a lot of basketball talent in Virginia, too. I know. I lived there for five years. There is a lot of basketball talent that comes out of that state. Like, Northern Virginia, up around D.C., you got a lot of talent. If you're in Virginia, you can pull plenty of talent from Maryland because they've got talent that slips through the cracks all the time. A school in Virginia can kill it in recruiting if they do it correctly. So... Take that to its logical conclusion. VCU would be a powerhouse right now if he had stuck around. I'm glad he's finally getting it together at Texas. They're 4-0. Their defense is absolutely insane. And it seems like they're finally ready to take that next step as a basketball program. And hopefully this will force the administration to give them some support. Because that's been that's been their problem since, since Shaka started there. Like his first year there, they were not very good. His first two years there, they were not very good. And I'm I'm glad for him because he is a coach I respect. And I'm, I'm glad he's finally turned it around. I, I'm going to keep my eye on the Longhorns this year. And UNC has clearly bounced back after a disastrous year last year. Like, one of their worst years in a long, long time. They have clearly bounced back. Despite the fact that they lost, they're still 3-1. and one. They're going to stay in the top 25. They're, they're going to drop because they lost to a team lower than them in the rankings, but they're not going to drop. They're not going to drop very hard at all. They, like, them and Texas might flip spots in the next poll. Like, they'll, Texas will be 14, North Carolina will be 17. Depending on what else happened around them in the top 25. Like, West Virginia is not going to drop that hard. Illinois is going to drop, like, maybe a spot if they drop at all. It all depends on what happens between uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. Like, it it literally all depends on what, what's going to happen between uh, Gonzaga and Baylor. If that, if Baylor wins that game, they're number one. Obviously, because number two beat number one, like you're switching spots. That could cause a little bit more chaos in the top 25, but for now, it's probably actually going to hold steady. 
a little bit after after this week. Because last week was where all the crazy upsets happened. This week, everything's gone a little bit more according to plan. It's just a matter of, like, figuring everything out. It's so early in the season. It's really hard to tell. But I'm keeping my eye on Texas. I don't know if they're as good as Gonzaga or Baylor. I don't think they are. But I'm keeping my eye on them. They're going to be an interesting team to watch this year. But that's what I've got for college basketball. Up next, we'll... uh, Getting to some football, general football. There's not enough on either side to really make them separate segments. So uh, I'm going to talk about both in one. So that's up next here on the mashup. All right, welcome back to the mashup. And let's get into some football. It is mostly college football, but I do have an NFL rant. Steelers fans. I hope you acknowledge the fact that you are the worst 11-0 team in NFL history because you have played exactly one good defense all season long. You still won those two games, but you needed a whole lot of help from the refs to do it. And your offense really didn't do jack against that defense in either game. Now, you still won them, but in both games, you needed a lot of help from the refs And the fact that in the most recent game against the Ravens, you barely beat what is effectively the Ravens' JV team. Because, let's be honest, they were without Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson. Uh, Most of the offense, most of the day one offensive line, most of the day one defensive line to either Corona or injury. Most of the second half... (laughs) The Ravens had Trace McSorley at quarterback. And you know what happened? You still barely won. In a game that was preempted for the freaking tree lighting at Rockefeller Center. It was played in an empty stadium at 3.40 in the afternoon on a Wednesday. You still barely won. And every other good game, you have not played a good team. The Browns are the worst 8-3 and three team in NFL history. And every other team, you beat... Every other game, you beat a bad team. The Broncos. The Giants. The Eagles. The Titans. Well, the Titans are good, but you had help from the refs. Every team you've beaten has been bad. You haven't played the Chiefs yet. You know what's going to happen when you play the Chiefs in January? If you even play the Chiefs in January, you're going to lose horribly. And I can't wait. It's going to be really freaking funny. Like, I don't want the Chiefs to win another Super Bowl. I don't want to create, I don't want all the Patriots bandwagoners to jump to the Chiefs and make the Chiefs annoying because I like Patrick Mahomes. I think he is a very good quarterback. He seems like a pretty chill dude. I don't want to hate the Chiefs the way I hate the Patriots. So I really, or hated the Patriots. I still hate them because Boston and everything. But I don't want to hate the Chiefs the way I hate the Patriots and Steelers. With all their freaking bandwagon fans. No, I I don't want to hate the Chiefs that way. They're going to get bandwagon fans, don't get me wrong. But... Oh my god. 
Uh, I can't wait for the uh, the Steelers to lose horribly to the Chiefs in January. Even if the Ravens also lose horribly to the Chiefs, it will feel like vindication. Because the Ravens losing to the Chiefs probably will not be as ugly as what is going to happen to the Steelers. Because if you can't get past the Ravens' battered and bruised and broken defense, what are you going to do against the Chiefs' healthy defense? And if your offense can barely, and if your defense can barely contain Trace McSorley and RG3, what is that defense going to do against Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Travis Kelsey? What are you going to do against that, Steelers? I'll tell you, nothing. Oh, I can't wait to watch the Steelers roll over and die for the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be so freaking funny. Like, heck, even if they don't play, even if they play like the Bills or something in the first round. Now, the Bills are going to win their division. They won't play them in the first round. If, if somehow the Dolphins end up winning the AFC East and the Steelers end up playing the, uh, playing the Bills in the first round and they lose... Oh, that's going to be funny. Or even better, if they play the Ravens in the first round and they lose. Oh my god. <laughs> the crap I will talk. Even if we lose to the Chiefs. Because of all the running back bullshit I have heard from Steelers fans this year, I will be dancing on your graves if the Ravens beat you in the playoffs in January. Oh, I will... I, I will I will drive to Pittsburgh, paint my face black and purple, risk breaking out horribly because of super sensitive skin. I will paint my face purple and black. I will drive to Pittsburgh and dance like an idiot outside of outside of Heinz Field. Playing that ridiculous Ravens fight song that we, we kind of need to get rid of. Like we need to get rid of the marching band. We're not a we're not a college team. Come on, Ravens. Like, I and in the jersey of one of your oldest tormentors, Terrell Suggs, and dance like it, and do the Ray Lewis dance in the parking lot of Heinz Field. I will do that, and I will take a video of it, and I will post it to social media. That is how confident, that is what I will do if the Ravens beat the Steelers in the playoffs in January. I will post it to every social media I have and I will tag all my Steelers fan friends in every single version of that social media. I will post it in discord. I will post it on Facebook. I will post it on Twitter. I will post it on Instagram. I will do all of those things because duh. Why would I do anything else? Oh, if the Ravens actually beat the Steelers in the playoffs, that'd be so funny. There will be a lot of grave dancing going on in Baltimore. But that's the NFL. College football. 2020 football gods. Why you got to do this to me? Can I have one good thing as a football fan in the past two weeks? Like, Liberty season just abruptly ends because we had a we had a corona outbreak out of nowhere 
First Malik Willis test positive, then it's the rest of the team. I wake up today, I find out the game got canceled and Coastal's going to play BYU instead. We got to find a, like, one, schedule that game for next year, please. All the players are coming back, guys. Schedule that game again for next year. I don't care if it's in Conway. I don't care if it's in Lynchburg. Schedule that game again for next year. Now that we're both FBS teams and we're both good, we need to bring that rivalry back. Please. Like, that rivalry needs to come back. That defined my college football fandom, my first three years of college. That rivalry was everything. And now it seems like the stakes are there's a very real possibility winner of that game goes to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, not this year, obviously, because that's that the Liberty's not playing that game because they had a corona outbreak. They're still going to a bowl game. They were nine and one. And I'm shocked they only lost one game this season. Like, they only lost one game to Corona this year. Like, I'm shocked. Given the fact that Maryland has lost multiple games through outbreaks of their own and outbreaks on other teams, I'm shocked Liberty only lost one. It's the game I was most looking forward to because it was the resurrection of an old rivalry at a new level with infinitely higher stakes. <laughs> 2020, why did you have to take this from me? I was looking forward to that game. Even if we lost, and I think Liberty still had a good chance of winning that game. I don't care what anyone says. Now, without Malik Willis, we would have had some problems. But last time Liberty went down to Conway without their starting quarterback, things went pretty well. That is one of my favorite college football memories, is that, is that blocked field goal. The Big South refs tried to screw us. Like, the play clock had run down. It was delay of game. Game was over, but the clock was getting all screwy. The Big South refs let Coastal kick. This was a chip shot. And Shima Uzawehi, Shima Uzawehi, that's how you pronounce his last name. It's been forever since I've heard it. Just gets his hand and smack. Blocks that thing. Alan York loses his freaking mind because I... The, the ESPN Big South commentator was absolutely terrible. He was getting everybody's name wrong. I uh, So I, I just muted the ESPN feed and had the, the radio feed of Alan York playing. Highly recommend doing that, by the way. If, you're, if your team is on national and you either live in the radio market for their flagship station or you can get their radio feed online, I highly recommend muting the TV and listening to your biased guy. It it vastly improves the viewing experience. Especially if you're a fan of a, a small college team. Or a team that the national media tends to hate. Like, if, if you're a fan of a, a team from Philly. Where national media just constantly rips your team. Even if they're good. I highly recommend muting the TV and going local. I, I did it with the Flyers for a while when I still had a serious subscription and could get the the Flyers channel. Like, I did it with the Flyers. I would do it with the Sixers if I could. I, I do it with the Ravens. I do it with the Ravens all the time. Not so much with the Orioles because I have a local TV feed, but I would highly recommend, like, if your team doesn't have a local TV feed, I would highly recommend muting National and listening to local radio instead. Like, you will thank me.
But I, I hate that we were, we were robbed of, we were robbed of that game by 2020 and it's, and it's crap. But hopefully, Ian McCall, please, I, I'm begging you. I am begging you, Ian McCall, Coach Hugh Freeze. I am begging both of you. Please keep that game on the schedule for every year if you can get it. Like, that rivalry needs to come back. Like, I have my old Beat Coastal shirts that I want to dig out of my closet because if you go to Liberty, if you went to Liberty during that era of the Coastal rivalry, when we were still in the big, when we were both still in the Big South, you got those shirts all the time. I I need that rivalry to come back with with higher stakes. Now that we're both FBS, good lord, bring me back that rivalry. In more national college football news, there's a chance Ohio State's gonna miss out on the Big Ten championship game because of Kevin Warren's insane stubbornness. He's going to screw over his own conference because he was too stubborn. Like, Nebraska begged to play someone else when their conference games got canceled. And the Big Ten just kept saying no. But now that it's screwing Ohio State, they're scrambling. And, Kevin, this is what you get. You should you jumped the gun too early on canceling the season, and now... In December, it's come back to bite you square in the ass. And honestly, you had this coming, and I hope I hope the school presidents get together and fire you. Because Jim Delaney, he was not a great commissioner. He was a good commissioner, not a great one. He had his problems, and I was happy he retired. You are so much worse than Jim Delaney, Kevin Warren. The Big Ten is a mess with you in charge. The Big Ten is an absolute disaster with you at the helm. And think about that. Jim Delaney is better than you. You know what happened in and around the Big Ten under Jim Delaney's watch? Jerry Sandusky, Larry Nasser. I don't need to say more. The fact that Jerry Sandusky and Larry Nasser both happened in the Big Ten under Jim Delaney's watch, and you are still worse than him? You're done. Like, Kevin Warren, you suck. The The Big Ten needs to fire you because you are terrible at your job. Because now you're going to screw over the entire conference. Ohio State's probably going to miss out on the college football playoff, and it will be 100% your fault. The Big Ten championship game is going to get no views, like, at all. The Big Ten championship game will get no eyeballs, and Ohio State is going to miss the CFP because of you. I hope you're happy. I hope every single Big Ten player and coach and athletic director gets together and collectively sues your ass. All, I mean, with the size of college football rosters, there's probably about 1,500 of them all told. Between the players, the coaches, and the athletic directors, that's probably close to about 1,500 people. Just given the size of a college football roster and coaching staff, like most college football FBS scholarship limits is is eighty three. I think. I think you can have eighty three. Uh, scholarship players eighty five. 
And then they have about 15, 20 walk-ons. So that's 100, 105 people. Plus all the coaches and athletic directors. That's another, that's probably another 20. So that's 125 times 14. Uh, let's see. that 125 times 14, all collectively suing your sorry ass, is 1,750 people. So nearly eight, I was, my math was incorrect. Nearly 1,800 people all coming together to sue your ass in class action form. You might as well just step down now, Kevin, because you, sir, are in trouble. You completely screwed the pooch with this entire season and it is 100% your fault because all the players, all the coaches, and all the athletic directors said, hey, we want to play. And you and your idiot crony presidents all said, no. We're going to bring all our students back to campus because don't forget that most of the Big Ten returned to in-person classes for the fall semester. But you couldn't play football. That makes zero sense. Like, almost all of the Big Ten returned to in-person classes for the fall semester. But you couldn't play football? You brought them back to campus and made them go to class, but they couldn't play football? Yeah, that's fair. They can't have any other forms of fun. They can't go out and have any other kind of fun. But they can't they can't play football. That's that's totally fair. Sure. That's that's genius, Big Ten. I hope all eighteen hundred of them come together and just sue your ass to the moon and back. Because that's what you deserve. You have completely screwed the pooch on this season, and I hope you feel bad when Ohio State misses the playoffs because of it. So congratulations, Kevin Warren. You suck. You are somehow worse than Jim Delaney, the guy who was in charge for multiple sex scandals at his various member institutions. Good job, Kevin. <sighs> One more thing that makes me irrationally angry. Why the heck is Sarah Fuller getting so much hate? Like, yeah. Her kicks in the in the Vanderbilt game were not amazing. You spend your whole life kicking a round ball in with very different form. You switch to a football on like a week's notice. You're not going to be that great at it. Like considering she has probably spent most of her life kicking a round ball. And just based on her height and everything, she probably played either basketball or volleyball in high school too, where you can use your hands. Like, but she's a soccer player. She's a goalie. The way a goalie kicks a ball is very different from the way a football kicker kicks a ball. It's, it's a very different skill set. Considering she had like a week's notice to prepare for that game, she did pretty well. And I'm not saying she should be the permanent kicker. I'm not. But good lord. All these people saying sexist crap and, like, death threats and everything else that's coming her way? I'd like to see you idiots try. You know how hard it is to kick a freaking field goal? You know how hard it is to kick a football, period? And and don't get me started on saying, oh, girls can't kick footballs at all, even if they're soccer players. Uh, I would like to turn your attention to Carly Lloyd at Eagles training camp about a year ago. Uh, she nailed a 55-yarder. 
So good soccer players can 100% kick field goals. Like, she didn't have pads or anything on, but, well, one, that's the best, and she's also Carly freaking Lloyd. Like, okay, she's a member of the U.S. Women's National Team, the best women's soccer team on planet Earth. And she she nailed a 55-yarder because she has power in her legs. Like, that's fine. Like, being friend, being teammates with the wife of a member of the Philadelphia Eagles and a Philadelphia hero because she's she's a Philly native. Like, that gives you some perks that she got to go to she got invited to training camp because she's a Philly local. She's been a an Eagles fan her entire life. Won a World Cup and she got invited to training camp and she nailed a field goal. Like, it's not unheard of. And all these people spewing this sexist crap about Sarah Fuller. Like, I'd like to see you try. It's a step in the right direction. And I'm not saying girls should go out there and play defensive line or offensive line or tight end or linebacker. Like, I'm not saying that. They're... Let, let's just let, let's just stretch this out. The average American woman is what? Five four? Average height for a woman is 5'4". The average woman in the U.S. is 5'4". Now, there are a lot of girls who are taller than that, especially athletes and soccer players, because soccer players, particularly goalies, are are on the taller side. They're usually like, I, I'd say, how tall is Sarah Fuller? Let's just uh, let's just look that up, because she's going to be listed on uh, on both rosters. Uh, Sarah Fuller... Actually, let's do it this way. Uh, Vanderbilt Women's... Let's go to Vanderbilt's website. Look at the roster. Uh, goalkeeper. Is she? Oh, there she is. Senior from Texas. Goalkeeper. She is listed. God dang it. Her height's not listed. Let's, well, she'd probably be on the football roster if we're being honest. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Good Lord. Vanderbilt does not actually have that many men's sports. They only have six. Uh, let's see. Uh, she's probably near the bottom because she's a recent addition. Where the heck is she? Now, let's, uh, let's sort it this way. Name. Uh, Sarah Fuller. She's 6'2". Oh, good Lord. She's 6'2". She's the same height as me. So... She's above average height for an American woman, significantly, if we're being honest. Because that's, what, 10 inches taller? But yeah, she's six foot two, and she is the... She's the goalie for the Vanderbilt women's soccer team and for the... And the kicker for the Vanderbilt football team, which is honestly straight up insane. But my God, it's not like they're asking her to go out there and play defensive line. Because despite the fact that she's 6'2", Vanderbilt's defensive line averages about 300 pounds. She's not that. Like, and, like, you're not asking her to go out there and play line. You're asking her to go out there and kick the freaking ball. She was probably the best option. Because Vanderbilt's team was out of kickers. 
They're all in quarantine. Okay, they found the best option they have. And I will take every opportunity to dunk on this particular asshole. Jason Whitlock. Good lord, dude. Do you enjoy embarrassing yourself online? Because he went out there and said as soon as it got announced, oh, things I'm not allowed to say. Did they pick the one the best option or just the best option for the for the publicity of it all? Were there no guys on Vanderbilt's soccer men's soccer team? Thing is, Vanderbilt does not have a men's soccer team, and they haven't for 14 years. The SEC does not sponsor men's soccer. It, I don't think it has for a very long time. Because if you think about it, the SEC is not exactly in soccer country. As far as what the guys play. The SEC does not sponsor men's soccer. I don't necessarily blame them. Who would want to go to an SEC school to play soccer? Because no one's really going to care. They, their soccer team played in the Missouri Valley. That team folded in 2006. So, current hypothetical seniors on this Vanderbilt men's soccer team would have been eight years old. When, uh, when that team folded. They weren't even close to high school. They would have been in the third grade. Which also hurts me, because in 2006, I was in the sixth grade. <laughs> but, and, and he just doubled down. A, a local reporter from Nashville called him out for not doing a Google search, because watch. I, I'm going to do that Google search right now. Vanderbilt men's soccer. Okay, most of the... Uh, Oh, wait, that's news. All. Yeah, Vanderbilt Men's Soccer. Their Wikipedia page. The program was dropped in 2006. The college cited Title IX as the reason for its decision. I found that with typos and everything and being on the wrong page in less than a minute. It took me no time at all. Google before you tweet, dumbass. I know you work for, for Outkick the Coverage, which is basically what people who hate Barstool say Barstool is. But my God, man, do some research before you spew your sexist crap all over Twitter. How does that guy have any kind of platform and I still don't? I, I really don't get it. Screw you, Jason Whitlock. But that's what I've got for general football stuff. I hope I actually get to see Sarah Fuller kick a field goal this weekend because one, it'll piss off Jason Whitlock. And two, we waited. Poor people were waiting an entire game, a very boring game at that, to watch her attempt to kick a field goal. She got to kick the ball once to start the second half. That was it. And it was a pretty darn good kick for someone who has played soccer her entire life. But... That's what I got for football. Once again, screw you, Jason Whitlock. Up next, we'll uh, talk some NBA and their ridiculous opening to the season slate and one of the dumbest trades I've ever seen. That's all coming up next here on The Mashup. All right, pretty basketball-heavy episode today, but it's that time of year, and the NBA is almost back. And good lord, 
what a stretch we're going to have when the season kicks off. But first, the dumbest trade I have ever seen. John Wall and a first round pick for Russell Westbrook. If John Wall and Bradley Beal butted heads, you really think Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook aren't? That is the dumbest trade you could have done. Both front offices are clueless. Like, after they fired Morey, after they fired Daryl Morey, like, the Rockets just got dumb. I'm glad they fired Daryl Morey and he came to the Sixers, but the Rockets just got dumb after he left. Like, Russell Westbrook is not going to work in D.C. at all. And all the Wizards fans I follow on Twitter, which, thanks to my connection to Baltimore, is more than a few, none of them were happy. (laughs) None of them were happy with this trade. Every single one of them hated it. I think, like, one guy, it was Nate from Barstool. Nate from Barstool was, like, the one guy who didn't hate it, and he had a pretty good point, that both guys wanted to change the scenery, John Wall was butting heads with the front office and with Bradley Beal. And maybe Westbrook will work out better in D.C. because he just wanted to get the hell out of Houston. I still don't think this is going to work. At all. Like, 100%, this will not work. This is going to go just as horribly because Westbrook's ego is too big. And him and Beal are going to butt heads just like Wall and Beal did. That, that is my take on that trade. And the Wizards are run by idiots. So they're not going to know how to handle this. There's no way they know how to handle this. So there, there's my take on that trade. It's really dumb. I can't believe they actually went through with it. And John Wall leaving DC feels very weird. And Westbrook and Beal are going to hate each other. And if... If Harden sticks around on the Rockets, him and John Wall aren't going to get along either. There's no way either of these combinations work. Like, there is no way John Wall and Russell Westbrook get along. Or not uh, John Wall and James Harden. And there's no way Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook get along. At all. Like, there's no chance on earth that happens. So there's my take on that trade. But let's talk about the more positive stuff. The first, three of the first four games of the season. I'm guessing they're not going to play on Christmas Eve. Let's see. Are they going to play? Are they going to play on Christmas Eve? Let's just take a look if my ESPN app on my phone will corroborate. Because I have not seen the full schedule yet. Let's see. Nope, not NCAA. NBA. Uh, Scores. Friday, December 11th is preseason. So next Friday is the beginning of preseason. The first game of the regular season is Tuesday, December 22nd. And they're both in primetime, kind of. And they're both really good games. But let's see. No, they are not playing on Christmas Eve. They're playing They're playing the 22nd, the 23rd, and then on Christmas. 
These first nine games, good God. Good Lord. The Tuesday games, Warriors versus Nets. There's a lot of storylines there. Just just a few. With uh, with KD on the Nets after after he left the Warriors, Steph's gonna be back. I know Clay's still in. Clay got injured again, so he's probably gonna miss this entire season too. But that's that's a very interesting con- premise. And then the next game, <laughs> the ten o'clock game on December twenty second, Lakers versus Clippers. Good lord, that's gonna be insane. That game's going to be nuts. That's the first day of the season. The second day of the season. Bucks, Celtics, and Mavericks, Suns. NBA, you are spoiling us. Good Lord. The new look Suns with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Out of all the movement in like the, the Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, James Harden triangle... Because they were all kind of connected to each other because, you know, Chris Paul got, got flipped to rest book and all that. I think that one is going to be the most successful, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I think that will be more successful because I think at this stage of his career, Chris Paul knows he is a mentor to that very young Suns team. I think Dallas is going to win that game. Like, Dallas probably wins that game and probably wins that game pretty easily. But... That's a really good game, and Bucks Celtics should be interesting. Despite the fact the Celtics are very new look, I'm I'm curious to see what happens in that game because that's a uh, that's a battle of uh, Giannis versus Tatum, which is going to slightly torture me because you know Sixers had an opportunity to take both guys and they didn't. Ugh, I mean the year I think Giannis and Embiid came out the same year, so it's not a huge deal, but still. I'd I'd prefer to have Tatum on the Sixers. Just, you know, a thought. They would have won a championship, probably. The process wouldn't be a complete failure. My fantasy basketball team wouldn't be called F the process. But, you know, that's what happens when your team is run by idiots. You don't get to play on Christmas this year either. But this Christmas slate, good God. The noon game. Pelicans versus Heat. Sign me up. That's a primetime game. The 2.30 game. Warriors at Bucks. That is also a game worthy of prime time. 5 o'clock. Nets at Celtics. There's a few storylines there. 8 o'clock. Mavericks at Lakers. Poor Mavericks. They're, I mean, the Suns might have fans in the building. The Lakers definitely won't. But still, starting your first two games on the road, even in, like... Very docile, very empty environment. Then the 10 o'clock game, Clippers at Nuggets. There's more than a few storylines involved in that one. Revenge for the blown 3-1 lead. (laughs) Oh, man. That's, that one, that one I really have my eyes on. Like, that one I'm, I'm staring at. Like, that's probably going to be the best game of the day. Mavericks-Lakers will be really good, too. Because uh, depending on how it goes, especially if the Mavericks win and if Luka has a freakishly good game, that is called the passing of the torch (laughs) from LeBron to Luka. Because given their constant choking in the playoffs, 
I don't know if the torch is going to Giannis after after LeBron leaves it. I think it goes to Luka. And this could be the game that sets that in motion. Like, that one's going to be really good. I'm definitely interested in Steph's return against the Bucks. Like, Steph's return against the Nets. The Nets don't really interest me all that much because I don't think they're actually going to be that good. Like, the Nets really don't interest me all that much, especially if they do end up going through with this Harden trade. Like, I think the Warriors run away with that one. Because Irving, Durant, and Harden. You think that combination is going to work? I don't. <laughs> Nets Celtics, same thing. The Celtics are probably going to run away with that one. But those other games, these are all worth, like all of these games are all worthy of like Friday night primetime. And Christmas is on a Friday this year, so it kind of makes sense. But all of these games could be primetime games to anchor an entire day on their own. The NBA is spoiling us with this slate of games. And I am very much looking forward to it. Like, college basketball is spoiling us the Friday before Christmas on the 18th with uh, with Nova Virgi- Nova versus Virginia and the other really good game that day. I think I think Gonzaga also has a game that day. NCAA basketball. Let's scroll ahead to December 18th. I I don't want the Atlantic 10. I want the top 25. That's all of Division One. I. I want the top twenty-five. Oh, it's December. It's December nineteenth. Is the the good day? Is uh, six days before Christmas. So it's not a full week before Christmas. It's December. December nineteenth is the the day of really good games. If I could get this to load, I, I know that's when UVA and Nova are playing. Like that's gonna be, that's gonna be absolutely insane, and I can't wait. Like, the basketball gods are spoiling us the entire month of December, and I'm very happy because we got screwed. Because it was basketball that all kicked this crap off, if you recall. That feels like it was forever ago, but it was the NBA that kicked all this crap off. And college basketball was the first thing we truly lost. It was the first event to get straight up canceled. Oh, man. Welcome back, NBA. You're still... What? Oh, just under three weeks away, but welcome back. We have all missed you. And thank you for this very generous first three days of the season. (laughs) Good Lord, this is going to be fun. I hope you're all ready. But that's what I got for the NBA. It's, It's not that far off. I feel like I haven't talked about them in forever, but they are not that far away now. Up next, got some, uh, some random other gaming stories that didn't really warrant their own individual segments. Other than First Strike, there's not a whole lot going on this weekend on the esports front. I'll have my reactions to First Strike next week, don't you worry. But other than First Strike, there's not a whole lot going on on that front. So I will be back with my reactions to it next week. But uh, yeah, we'll get into some of these other very strange stories from all corners of the gaming world. That's up next here on the mashup. So there's a few different stories on the just gaming and mostly streaming front that felt worth discussing and obviously didn't warrant their own like individual segments. Cause that would, that would bloat out the runtime of the show so bad, but multiple different orgs have, 
have come into the news lately, orgs and streamers. One is absolutely massive, and I'm surprised he's even involved in this. Another is the CDL, and the third is just super freaking sketch. Like, good lord, it is it is so sketchy. We'll get into that one last, because I have the most to say about that one. But the big news today was that Tim the Tatman, since about a month-ish ago, he said he might be interested in signing with an org. And in a complete surprise to absolutely everyone, he's been getting a lot of offers. Really? The guy who got a fat contract with Twitch, what, about a, a little over a year ago, year and a half ago? Got an absolutely fat, probably eight-figure guaranteed contract with Twitch. Really? You'd think orgs would want to sign him? That would have to be on some XQC-type deal, because I couldn't find any evidence of it, but I I was working under the assumption that when there was some org that signed someone, I thought it was XQC, they got an ownership stake. In, in the org they signed with. I thought XQC got a share in Luminosity, but I couldn't find any evidence of that. Like, I couldn't find any news stories that brought that up, so I don't think it was him. But I feel like I remember hearing recently that some org signed someone and gave them a stake in ownership as well. I feel like at his size, like as a streamer, not as a person, I'm not calling him fat. He, he calls himself fat enough. I don't have to. Uh, at his size of a, like at his, the size of his channel, both on Twitch and YouTube, like he would have to get some kind of like ownership stake if he signed with an org, because what benefit would signing with an org really bring to him? Unless it was some kind of like ownership stake. Like that feels like a very one way benefit relationship. If he doesn't, because he's grown as one of the biggest streamers on the platform, entirely independent. And he's friends with Nadeshot. He's friends with Nick Merckx. So he has, he's friends with Dr. Lupo. So that is connections to three different orgs. Because Dr. Lupo signed when he was still pretty early on in his career. He signed with Rogue and he's still a member. And now he's, now he's doing great things with Rogue. He's like a brand ambassador for, that like helps scout younger guys who are, potentially going to join Rogue. XQC is doing the same thing with Luminosity. And I could see Tim maybe doing something like that with 100 Thieves or starting his own org and signing and teaming up with uh, with Tifu and Cloaksy or just Cloaksy because Tifu is kind of a dick. Not kind of. Tifu is just straight up a dick. I, if you couldn't tell, not a huge fan of Tifu. I respect his work ethic and what he's done, but I think he's kind of an asshole. I like Cloaksy though, which is weird because they're roommates and really good friends and they signed with FaZe together and they both got awful contracts. But I like that orgs are doing that kind of thing now, like that kind of talent scouting thing, like the FaZe 5, Luminosity is doing the same thing and XQC is helping judge. Uh, Lupo's done it with uh, Rogue Jr., I think it's called. Like, that's all really good stuff. I, I really like that. I hope more orgs start to do that. Hey, 100 Thieves, hit me up. I'm a podcaster and a streamer. I would love to I would love to join. Hit me and I feel like I could help you grow. I know traditional sports and I know esports. And I feel like we would uh we would do good things together. Hit me up, 100 Thieves. Uh 
<laughs> my uh, my emails and my Twitter. I, I I just had to get that out there, but I feel like. It's more likely that Tim would sign with 100 Thieves just because he's friends with Nate Shot, he's friends with Courage, and they're both 100, like, they're the face of 100 Thieves content. And 100 Thieves is making moves recently. And I feel like he's got enough money that he would probably, he would both come on as a content creator and an investor. Like, that's, that's what I feel like Tim would probably do. Because I feel like I feel like it may not be public, but I feel like Lupo probably has a little bit of stake in Rogue, too. Just because he's gotten so big. I, I know Nate Shot has stake in 100 Thieves. He's freaking CEO. I think Courage might. He might just be under contract, but he could have. Like, some of the some of the bigger creators that have been there a while, like Courage and Valkyrie, they could have stake in, in 100 Thieves. I don't know if they do, but it, it's a very real possibility that they might. But I, I'm not sure where he's going to go. He he probably has pick of every org in the world. Because he's Tim the freaking Tatman. So I'm I'm wondering where he's going to go. I'm, I'm wondering why he's doing this. Because he doesn't really need an org. A lot of orgs could use him. But I don't know what the benefit would be on his side if he joined one. Like, I could see the benefit for small to medium streamers, like like Valkyrie when she first joined 100 Thieves, like Brooke, heck, like Courage when he first joined. I knew who he was, but he wasn't massive by any means. Like, like XQC joining Luminosity, that's weird to me. Same thing, same with uh, Tim the Tatman joining literally anyone. Um, I'm wondering where this is going to go. The other one, this one, this one doesn't seem that weird because it's, it's kind of their MO lately. Who was it? It was Josh Richards and I... Who was the other one? It was Josh Richards and... Somebody else. Josh Richards and Griffin Johnson are, co- are new investors in the London Royal Ravens. Which, speaking of Rogue... Rogue is, Rogue is the org behind, uh, behind the Royal Ravens, which... Honestly, our, our like color scheme and everything wise are probably one of my favorite CDL teams just because I think their like their imagery and everything is really freaking cool. But yeah, Josh Richards and Griffin Johnson are now part owners of the freaking Royal Ravens, which that feels weird. These guys are much younger than me and uh, they now own a professional esports. They now co-own a professional esports franchise valued at $25 million. That hurts me a little bit, but props to them and like props to uh props to London Royal Ravens getting content creator investors cuz less than a month ago they brought on freaking Vicstar as an investor and Vicstar if you didn't know is pretty big in the COD community. So, I respect the hustle of the Royal Ravens. Like I got to give them props for that. It hurts me physically, but I got to give them props for for knowing where their audience is and getting investors with connections to them. This other one, though. I I am majorly sus of this one. Like, like emergency meeting, I'm slamming the button. Like, I, I'm slamming the button hard because I don't trust this at all. This new team on the esports front that came literally out of nowhere about a month ago 
with all these all these major investors, all these all these huge investors, but a lot of these guys are already tied to other orcs, like Drake. Drake is already tied to Hundred Thieves. Uh, there's another guy. Um, I I don't know I don't know rappers. Um, Sway Lee, that's who it was. Sway Lee was tied to Phase. He uh deinvested in them and is now connected to X Set. Gucci Mane, like uh, Rick Ross, Janelle Monet. I don't know Post Malone, Little Nas X, Flowrider, Carl Anthony Towns, Sean Combs, Travis Scott, Jordan Woods, DMX, Machine Gun Kelly, Bryce Tiller. No, th- this is so fake. But this org signed this eight-year-old kid, which last time I checked, I don't think is legal. Because what is he going to do? They, they signed this eight-year-old Fortnite player with a 33 mil, 33, not 33 million, $33,000 signing bonus. Then what the frick is his salary if his signing bonus was 33K? No. And, and Darren Ravel was the one to break it, which also has me majorly sus of this. Because Darren Ravel wouldn't know what a real esports team website looked like if it bit him straight in the face. But that's the thing. No, no other esports team. Let, let me let me just look up other esports teams. Let's let's go to cloud9.gg. Now, when I click on okay, I'm on Cloud9's homepage. I can scroll, and there's a lot of links here. At the top of the page, when I click on schedule, that takes me somewhere new. That takes me to a completely different page. When I click on teams, that gives me a drop-down menu. And if I click on Valorant White. That takes me to the team page for Cloud9 Valorant White. And it has all of them. It has, it, it doesn't have their pictures yet, because I guess they haven't been able to do their, their team photo shoots, but it has it has all of them. Do teams again. I'll click on, I'll go to Valorant Blue. Went to Valorant Blue. It has their recent results. It has the team listed. <laughs> they call Tens the goat. I love that. <laughs> Uh, reckless, reckless and Mitch are the fraggers. Reckless, Mitch and Vice are or relics. I always get his name wrong. Relics, Mitch and Vice are the fraggers, and Shinobi's the IGL, and Tens is the uh, the goat. I love that. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> but it's when I click on stuff, it is taking me or partners. It's a li- it's a link to all their sponsors. Training grounds. I clicked on training grounds. It took me to another page. Team Thirty Three's website is single page. Like apply to join. It. Okay, that brought up a new window. But exclusive guests, that scrolled the page to their claimed investors about us. It scrolled the page again. Our games scrolled the page again. It never, it's a single page site that just has separate tabs on the one page. If you have this kind of, if you have this kind of money behind you with this many investors, all with a lot of money, all of them who are a lot of them who are already tied to other orgs, which feels like a conflict of interest. This website looks so fake to me. And if you Google Team 33, you get a couple articles about them signing this kid from PR Newswire. Again, PR Newswire. They PR Newswire. They're just they just drop press releases. Uh the YouTube video from Esports Talk. 
a couple, like one other site reporting on this story. And then esports at Coastline College, the esports Wikipedia page, ESPN esports, which doesn't even exist anymore. And then another, another page about uh, this kid, Joseph Dean, who again is eight years old. A couple weeks ago, kid signed with Cloud9 and he got unsigned a couple hours, days later. And that kid, General Sniper, is 14. He literally just turned 14, but he got signed to Cloud9, but his contract was almost immediately invalidated due to him being too young because of Riot's age restrictions, which I think to be an Academy player, you have to be 17. Or Academy, you might be younger, but to be an LCS player, you have to be like 17. Fortnite is one of the younger ones. Like, to play Fortnite professionally, you have to be 13. You can't stream on Twitch if you're not at least 13. You can't even have a Twitch account if you're under the age of 13. Unless you have, like, like unless if you're streaming and you're underage, like under 13, you have to have a parent in the room with you on camera the entire time you're streaming. You could be streaming for 12 hours. You still have to have a parent in the room with you that entire time. So this... I am super sus. I give it like a month, maybe less, before a more legitimate esports reporter like uh, like Jake Lucky or Richard Lewis or Jacob Wolf or any of these other guys are coming out and saying, yeah, Team 33 was a total scam. This poor kid got ripped off. Like, I wouldn't at all be surprised because you don't have this kind of, like, this pedigree of names attached to you and not make more noise than this. This is the first I'm hearing of this team. And Wicked Good Gaming is the one who broke their existence. And I have and I follow Wicked Good Gaming. Like they they follow me. Like we are mutuals on Twitter. They're the one who broke this team's existence and I have never heard of them. And when you have this kind of name recognition attached to you, you should have made more noise than this by now. And the fact that this website is single page and some of their links don't work, like I'm going to click their Facebook link. That did take me to a, a, an active Facebook page that has not posted since November 18th. They have three posts and it was them making their profile picture and their cover photo and adding a link to their website. That's it. That's all their Facebook page has. Click their Twitter link. It doesn't even work. It just loops you back to their website. Let's see what Instagram does. I haven't actually clicked Instagram. No, you click Instagram, it loops you back to their website. And let's click Discord. It loops you back to their website. Only one of these social links at the bottom of their page works. Man, this is... Yeah, I am crazy sus of this. Like, I am... Yeah, about our team. That doesn't work. Uh, join us on Discord. That link also doesn't work. Yeah, th- this is a total scam. Good Lord. Th- this poor kid. This poor kid got ripped off. Because they're not going to give this kid his money. Th- this team is 100% not legit. Like, spread this around. Team 33, totally fake. Their website barely works. Half their so more than half their social links aren't real. It just loops you back to the the homepage of their website. So 
yeah, th- this was me like live investigating this. Team 33, I am like, I am slamming that emergency meeting button. I saw like, they are, they are sus. Like, good Lord. I, I, I found them around like three different dead bodies in the, in electrical, like they are sus. I, I don't even give it a month. I give it like two, three, I think it's like two weeks. I think it's like two weeks before a more legit esports reporter not named Darren Ravel is breaking the story that Team 33 is a total scam and none of the people that they claim are connected to them are actually connected to them. Because like that website is an embarrassment. Even even a smaller team. Let comparing them to Cloud9 isn't fair. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's go to the Charlotte Phoenix. Let's go, let's go to Charlotte Phoenix because I know they have a website. CLT.gg. Much smaller org. Let's see what happens when I click our teams for them. It gives me a drop down. I'm going to click on Rocket League and it took me to a new page. So Charlotte Phoenix, a much smaller org who don't have any kind of the same names attached to them. Their website is more legit. It does not look at like it was made by Adobe Spark. Let's click on about us. Yeah. Took me to a new page. Uh, Let's try their social links. Uh, Twitter. Yeah. Took me to their Twitter page. I'm actually going to follow these guys because I, I like what they're doing. Uh, let's check their disc. Let's click their discord link. Yeah. It gave me a discord. It gave me a legit discord invite. So yeah, these guys, these guys are actually legit. Super small org doesn't have any kind of the same investment name attached to it. And their, their website is looks legit and looks like it was, and doesn't look like it was made on Adobe spark. So, uh, there you go. That, I am I am one hundred percent I am one hundred percent sus of Team Thirty Three. I think they are straight up fake. They don't have a .gg website, which is the the domain name for most esports teams, especially in North America. And their website barely works, and it looks like it was made on Adobe Spark. They are fake as fake can be. But that's what I've got for this episode of the mashup. Hope you all enjoyed. And uh, hope you all enjoy your weekend with the many, many things to watch between uh, First Strike, a few good college football games, and a lot of good college basketball. But uh, I'll have my reaction to this entire weekend on Tuesday. I'll see you guys then.